Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. And we're going to look at the story of Jesus and the rich young man in our continuation of conversations with Jesus. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and land with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This week, at auction, a Leonardo da Vinci painting, Salvatore Mundi, a painting of Christ, sold for £341.5 million. It prompted a letter from Brian in Anglesey to the I newspaper, which says, So, a picture of a bloke who famously declared it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven is sold for 342 million. Is anyone else as bemused as I am? It shows that, a ri that rich men are still drawn to Christ, but only seem to go away with an impression rather than the reality. So I've got a five-point sermon. That's like a three-point sermon and a bit more. <laughs> Just in case maths is not your thing. The five-point sermon will go like this. Number one, do. Number two, don't do. Number three, disheartened. Number four, difficult. And number five, done. You see what I did there? So number one, do. This man, rich man, is serious and he's urgent. He ran up to Jesus. Not many people run in Israel. Certainly not holy people, certainly not rich people. But he ran up and he knelt. Rich men don't run, rich men don't kneel. 
So this matters. Something has struck this, this guy with such force that he's prepared to leave all dignity and impression to anybody else behind him. He has to get to Jesus and really implore him. So whatever wealth he had in the short term is just totally forgotten about. Now for some reason, a lot of Bibles title this bit the rich young man. Um, I think if you actually read it, in nowhere does it indicate he's young. And in fact, in, in the passage, it says that he kept the law from his youth, which implies that he is a little bit older, in fact. So we'll do without that. This is probably a middle-aged man who's established his walk. He's walked for a long time, and he's come to a recognition which will come to. So to Jesus, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the major point for this fellow is about eternal life. But Jesus' first response has nothing to do with that at all. It's, why do you call me good? Don't you like the way that Jesus just knocks people off uh, their kilter to get them to think about what they're actually saying and doing? But good teacher, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the focus on works is common. If I do more good than bad, God will accept me. That's an, ex, an, an impression that people have. That's the way that people, a lot of people in our nation in particular and Western nations live their life. If I live and I do the best that I can and do more good than bad, I'll be saved. It might disturb you to know that this is what Jimmy Savile believed. So Jimmy Savile, although he was going around abusing people, did all of his good works to try and outweigh the abusing that he was doing. That was his motivation, because he feared that he wanted to get to heaven, and the way to do it was through good works. So he felt that his good works were an attempt to outweigh the evil that he was doing. But that's not the case, as we'll see. But it's disturbing that people will live that way. The kingdom of heaven just doesn't work like that. Salvation is not about doing. But the man remains, remains earthbound in his thinking. This world, this nation of ours, is sentimental about death. And it seems to believe that when someone dies, there'll be another star in heaven tonight. Or another angel in heaven tonight. It's blind, wishful thinking, based on the idea that their good outweighs their bad. What they do is somehow what matters. Number two, don't do. Anybody watch the series Modern Family? Any chance? Anybody? It's me and Neil and Tina then. Uh, okay, so I'll need to explain this bit then. So, Modern Family is an American sitcom revolving around three related families. To, uh, three, uh, one of these families is Jay, who is an older, middle-aged man, and he's married to the much younger and his second wife, Gloria, and Gloria is from Colombia. Gloria already had a son, and that's Manny, and he's, a, I can't remember quite how old he is, but 10 or 12, something like that. And he is the, the Manny is the most adult of all the characters. Now one day they come out of the house and it becomes clear it's a Sunday. 
And Jay goes to a different car to Gloria, and he says he's not going to church today. He's off to play golf. When she starts to argue with him about it, his reasoning is this, that God is as much out there on the golf course as he is in the building on a Sunday. And Manny, the young fella, doesn't quite know how to engage with that, but decides that would work for him as well, and he decides to go and play golf with Jay. That's not what Jay wants, but that's what he gets. Anyway, as they're going around, Manny starts to quiz Jay about this newfound belief system. And as they're discussing uh, what they feel, what he believes about God, it leads to a conclusion that Jay comes out with that everyone goes to heaven. At which point Manny considers this for a minute and then asks the question, do even bad people go to heaven? And that causes Jay to think for a minute. And then he says, they go to a less good heaven. (laughs) It doesn't matter which way you do it. There needs to be a sense of justice and judgment in the afterlife. Otherwise, people who are evil can just get away with anything. And it doesn't count for anything. The rich man has called Jesus good. And Jesus asked him why he called him good. And Jesus astutely points to the man's own moral character. Not by telling him what to do, but by highlighting all the don't do's. Don't murder. Um, Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Yet the man has lived a life of not doing the wrong things, and yet he's unsure that it's enough. So we find out this is a man who's kept the law, but it's not enough. He's missing something. And even if you add in the honour your parents, which is something he needed to do, it shows the reward of a rich man that's based on the law. If you honour your parents, it will go well with you, you'll gain reward, you'll have a long life. But it's not enough. What's more, the rich man knows it. He knows he's lacking something in preparation for the afterlife. The law which he's kept isn't going to save him. So it's not actually about um, all the things that he had done. It's not about the law. It's not about his morality. It won't save him. The man is able to affirm this. He says, teacher. And he doesn't call him good the second time. He just calls him teacher. All these things I've kept from my youth. Now the law is limited. The Old Testament is the story. (coughs) Excuse me. Of just how uh, the law uh, uh, has an inability in it to help man walk in God's ways. The law cannot help you. Grace goes beyond the law. Grace forgives where the law condemns. You see that in John 8, where Jesus forgives the adulterous woman. The law condemns her. Grace grants freedom where the law imposes limits. And grace is inclusive when the law excludes. The rich man lacks something. One thing, actually. Grace You see, he has a competing presence in his life. And that competing presence is wealth. 
And if you want to know how gracious you are, you might want to ponder on how you are with those who you consider to be undeserving. Jesus challenges the man gently but profoundly. Essentially, he's asking, what's more important, your wealth or your soul? That every part of you that Ian was speaking about. Give all your hard-earned, honourably rewarded wealth to the poor. Now, in this kind of context, rich is hard-working, honourable, honoured by God. The poor are the lazy, the unclean, the infirm, and those who are cursed by God. So there's a direct kind of contrast between the different types of people. I also looked this week at the 24, 25 richest sportsmen on earth. I say on earth, there aren't any anywhere else. <laughs> Lewis Hamilton is the 10th richest sportsman, though motor racing is hardly a sport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has a wealth of $46 million. He's just 10th. The person in position one has just over double. This is a year. A year. So this is for 2017. Cristiano Ronaldo earns 93 million dollars not quite sure what he does with it but his hair mainly but but as an example i just want to use in this context the sixth richest sportsman which is the very seemingly good guy roger federer roger federer worked extremely hard to enhance his tennis ability if you know his story you know at the beginning there was a lot of talk about he had the talent and the ability but nobody was quite sure if he had the hard work to go with it. And they wondered whether he would fulfill all his uh, promise. But he did work very hard at it, and he kept persevering, and he's quite possibly the greatest tennis player that's ever lived. Now along comes Jesus and says, you've worked hard, you've done everything in the way that you should have, you've earned everything that you have, but heaven doesn't work like that. You want treasures in heaven, Roger Federer? I'd like you to give it all away to the poor and the needy and the sick and the infirm. Give it all away. It's not doing bad things does not bring salvation, but sometimes we feel it should. It's still law. We're not, we are doing the not doing. But Jesus is looking not for doing or not doing, I hope you're keeping up with this, but giving. Okay, let me do that again. We're doing the not doing, but Jesus is looking not for the doing or the not doing, but giving. As you're going to say, three, disheartened. The rich man is disheartened. His hope has been dashed because as he's been given the challenge, he now has to decide whether what he desired when he came to Jesus is still important to him. But his hope has been dashed. 
What he hoped would be simple and straightforward has been proved to him to be impossible for him to achieve. And he walks away. He came running, but he went away sorrowful because the thing that he wanted to attain to, he could not reach. The rich man is not the only one affected by this. The disciples are amazed. Are you? Are you amazed when you hear Jesus' words? That's because they still correlate wealth with law-keeping, and law-keeping with good, blessed, and holy. The camel through the eye of the needle picture. The point of the picture is to show that it's impossible for man. But there used to be a teaching going around that said that in Jerusalem there was a gate called the Eye of the Needle. Has anybody heard this? Hmm. There was a gate called the Eye of the Needle where camels shuffled through on their knees with men pushing them from behind. You just think that through. What that would actually mean is that if it were true, that man, by an effort, can get a camel through the Eye of the Needle, defeating the point that Jesus is actually making. And it's made slightly worse by the fact that in Jerusalem, there's no such gate. So it's not true. Now Jesus is saying, it's harder to get a camel through the eye of the needle. It's impossible for you. Salvation for rich men is impossible with man. You cannot buy it. You cannot force it. You cannot earn it. This picture causes the disciples to move up a notch from amazed to exceedingly astonished. Now, I say a notch, maybe it was a few notches, but they've gone from just being amazed, which is quite something, to exceedingly astonished. If it's impossible for a rich man to be saved, what hope is there for the rest of us? Because his foundation is... If you're wealthy, you're blessed by God. If you're blessed by God, you'll surely go and be with him. It'll be easier for you. Jesus has just turned that around. and said, no, it's harder if you're rich. It's harder. So my fourth point is that it's difficult. Now, difficult is not impossible. With God, all things are possible. Salvation is impossible for man. No amount of works, no amount of self-effort, no amount of law-keeping will ever be enough to gain salvation. But with God, salvation is possible. Jesus says, follow me. That is the call. Take up your cross. That's the challenge. Leave behind the old is the crunch. And that's the decision that everyone needs to make. Follow me. That doesn't seem that difficult. Take up your cross. Okay, well, I'm going to follow you. That means I'm going to face some challenges. Leave everything from the old behind. That could become a crunch point for many. Peter, the spokesman, his first word is see, look at us. We've left everything behind to follow you. And the disciples weren't rich. 
Did you leave everything behind to follow Jesus? Did you leave it behind? Jesus says, whatever it is that you have left, whatever it is that you have given up for my sake, you will be rewarded far beyond measure. Much of it will be seen perhaps even in this life. But Jesus adds this nice little bit in that we might like to sort of steamroller past. You will be rewarded beyond measure for everything you've left behind with persecutions. We don't want to hear that bit. Who thought, oh yeah, oh, we're going to get rewarded. It's beyond measure with persecutions. I'm not so keen on that bit. Why? Why persecutions? Because it's a mark of following Jesus. Jesus was persecuted, and if we're following him, we will be also. Many who are first, the wealthy and the powerful, will be last. The poor, the humble, the rejected will be first. Every year, they come out with various rich lists, whether they're business people or a list of the richest women, a list of the richest sportsmen and film stars and celebrities and all the rest of it. You never see a list of the poorest, not as individuals. And fifthly, dumb. The rich man relied on his law-keeping and his wealth. The disciples relied on Jesus to lead the way. The kingdom of God is kind of bonkers, isn't it? Jesus has staked his reputation on 12 random poor people, ranging from a loudmouth to a political radical, to a traitor, to a doubter, to hot-headed brothers. And he said, pass it all the way along through the generations to 2017. And in 2017 in Faversham, these are the people that are responsible for my reputation. Is that how you see it? You are responsible. I am responsible for Jesus' reputation. What kind of people ought we to be? God's reputation is in our hands. But where it's impossible for man, God has saved us. But he saved us not by law, not by works, but by grace. You didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. You couldn't have done anything. And if you read Ephesians at the beginning, chapter 1, verse 8, you were chosen before the foundation of the world, before you did right or wrong. You see, God chose you for such a time as this to carry the reputation of Jesus forward into the world for generations to come. We need to keep looking forward to what's coming. The rich man could not accept grace. The disciples didn't realise at this point that grace was enough. But Jesus knows it's possible with God. And when it's done, salvation is done forever. You have an eternity with God to look forward to. That's worth pondering on.
that's worth celebrating. We need grace in our lives, rich or poor, because what's impossible for us is possible with God. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you that whatever situation we come from, whether rich or poor, Lord, it's only by grace can we be saved. And we thank you that you reached down to rescue us. You came down to rescue us. Thank you that you revealed yourself to such as us. I pray, Lord, we would carry your reputation with real pride and joy coming to meet the next generations. And I pray, Lord, you would be thrilled with us just as we are with you. May we get caught up again with the wonder of this great salvation which you have wrought for us. I thank you, Lord, that what proves impossible for anyone else with you is made possible. Thank you, Lord. We honour you this morning. Amen. <laughs>